you if you scowl often, it says this. If you scowl off, what's a scowl? If you scowl often, you engage the muscles of the glabella. Glabella. Glabella? Or the space between the eyebrows, if you scowl often. Ah, here's a good, good quote passing to you. Attending to details makes all the difference, whether it's plowing a field, building a fence, or teaching a newborn calf to drink. That's from a farmer in Minnesota. That's good, good information there. Pay attention to details. Being over the hill is much better than being under the hill. Yeah. Amen. And do not dissect a rainbow. In other words, now again, this is from a farmer. Do not dissect a rainbow. In other words, don't destroy a beautiful phenomenon by overanalyzing it. Very true. And when it comes to church and Bible, sometimes we can overanalyze things and then it becomes a uh, yeah, but. So sometimes we just accept something for the good that it is. Let's go to the book of Exodus chapter 12. I have not finished yet. I began in August, September, two months. And of course, there's a lot of chapters, 40 of them, in the book of Exodus, and you cannot possibly cover uh, the material in just a short time. So I still I'm trying to go through without spinning every, uh, go through every verse because uh, I like expository every verse, verse at a time. But sometimes uh, I feel like the audience or the people listening may not quite um, I fall asleep. In other words, don't want that to happen. So I'll give you some highlights from chapter 12. We're coming to the <coughs> We're coming to that great change that took place in Exodus, in the book of uh, Exodus, chapter 12, uh, 11 and 12, exactly. It's about the Passover, the Passover lamb. And uh, this event was life-changing for the Hebrews. It is uh, going to change things forever for them. And the book of Exodus is a history book, remember that. And you can learn a lot from history, remember that as well. And so you also get a lot of spiritual truth about New Testament salvation from the book of Exodus. And I hope to get to the book of uh, Exodus in chapters leading after this, the giving of the law, uh, the tabernacle, really anxious to get to those portions of Exodus. And so you find in this chapter, Exodus chapter 12, that the lamb that was sacrificed is a representation, a picture, a foreshadowing of the lamb of God to come. So the important thing that I want to pass it to this morning about Exodus 12 is about the sacrificial lamb, which points to uh, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So everything about this lamb will point to the Lamb of God in some way, and I'll point that out as we go along this chapter. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church. We pray for your blessings on those who have come uh, on time for church and those who are still in the way. Also be with them, give them safety, and give us a blessing from your word, and help us to appreciate uh, what we find in this chapter about the Lamb of God and how we should always remember that these scriptures are not just historical, but they point to uh, your coming in the New Testament to be our sacrificial lamb. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 12, actually chapter 11. 11 and 12 go together. If you look at chapter 11 of the book of Exodus, verse number 1, the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. So Pharaoh, sorry, okay, go, and then he changed his mind. What does James say about a man who is double-minded? In James chapter 1, verse number 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, if you wear glasses, or if you wear progressives, you used to be called trifocals. First it was single vision, and then bifocals. Remember the glass with the hard line? And then they have without the hard line? Then you have the progressives or trifocals where you look out with distance and mid-range and then reading range. That's what I have. Ever since I got these glasses several years back, it's been real difficult to 
be balanced in some some settings because I have to turn my head. With progressive, you gotta turn your head. You just can't look at the side with, like that like before. Sometimes you can be unbalanced, you know, a little uneven ground, uh, potholes, things like that. And so a double-minded man is unstable. He never is sure about where he's stepping. So Pharaoh is double-minded in a real way. And uh, because of that, he was given nine opportunities to let the people go. Went through nine plagues, and he still did not let them go. Sometimes he says, okay, 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 uncle, uncle, uncle. And he would change his mind. No, sorry, I changed my mind. So his repentance was not true repentance. It was just, okay, relieve us of this plague. Relieve us of this hardship. Relieve us of this grief over the land. And when the relief came, okay, hard heart again. He reminds us of a lot of people in this world, doesn't he? People always change their minds, and many times it's for the worse. And so he reminds us of a double-minded man. And so this time God says, though, he will, after this plague, he will let you go for sure. He will actually say, get out now. I can't wait for you guys to leave here. He will be finally giving up. So in chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, here is what God said will happen. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there should be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, uh, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. And so, this is what will happen that will cause him to finally give in and stop fighting and stop resisting what God wanted him to do. And so the death of the firstborn, very well-known account in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And so the first thing you want you to see is in chapter 12, chapter 12, verse number 2. The lamb made all things new. The sacrificial lamb made all things new. Chapter 12 of Exodus, now verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And so this new month, this new beginning, it all centered around the lamb that will be sacrificed. The Jews have two calendars, a civil calendar and a religious calendar. The Passover marks the beginning of a new religious calendar. Uh, the Looking at the inevitable deliverance from Egypt, it was so, the word is this that we don't use, so momentous, so momentous. I tried to find a word in the dictionary. Which word would describe this event that was so great and so big that it would change their calendar? The word is momentous. It was so momentous. It was so, it was so huge in the history that Israel would remake their calendar. And so the new year would now start with the month of their redemption from Egypt. The Passover lamb would get that all going. It would be Exodus from Egypt. And delivered from Egypt and so the death of the lamb marked a new beginning already you can see some spiritual application from the historical event now isn't it not true is it not true that this event was a dramatic way for God to say everything for Israel from this point on will be different it'll be new is there something personal that happened to you that made all things new What is it that made you different? What is it that made you new? What is it that set you free? What is when you received Christ who had died for your sins and shed his blood for you? And so the, the focus is the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, which points to Christ who made all things new for the ones who trusted in him. And so that's what that significance is. It's momentous event. And so for the world, the death of Christ was momentous because it changed the lives of millions on earth and in eternity. Have you noticed that people, when they come to Christ sincerely, uh, they have a different outlook on life? Now eventually it's gonna be that way. Maybe not all, all of a sudden, but it has a change, it makes a good change in them. And then of course it makes a good change in eternity because they, they're on their way to heaven now. And so uh, the lamb made all things new. Number two, the lamb was needed by the people. The lamb was needed by the people. It was essential that the lamb, the people got a lamb, the right kind of a lamb. Look at chapter 12, verse number three. Exodus 12, verse number three, the lamb. 
made all things new, like Christ made all things new for the believer, and of course he'll make all things new in this world eventually and in eternity. 12 verse number 3, Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And then verse number 4, and if the house will be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbors next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. And then he says that the lamb was needed. Now the lamb, the lamb, every man was to have a lamb, meaning every house was to have a lamb. Every house was to have a lamb. Every family was to have a lamb. The father was responsible for providing for this lamb, whether it be from his own flock or getting buying from someone else. He was to get a lamb for his flock or for his family. And so uh, then you have in verses uh, number five. Uh, sorry, verse number five. Qualifications from the lamb. Not any kind of lamb, but a specific kind of lamb. Exodus 12, verse number Four and five. Verse five says, "The lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole congregation, some of the congregation of Israel, shall kill it in the evening." Now, in verse number five, the lamb was to be a special kind of lamb. It was to be a specific lamb. For something so important, it had to be something exactly what God said to bring. You are to bring a male lamb. Now, how would this work if this was a woke generation back in this time? A male lamb. What if some Hebrew father says, well, to me, a male lamb would be a female lamb. Well, how can that be? Well, that would not be acceptable. So what is, is, and you cannot change what is to something that it is not. It's kind of amazing how the Bible speaks about a lot of contemporary things. It's not a serious point here or a theological point that woke is just a bunch of nonsense and really evil because in the Bible it is this or this. Okay, when it comes to bringing a sacrificial lamb, bring a male lamb. A male lamb. Well, everyone knew what a male lamb was. There was no doubt about that. That the lamb also had to be qualified. It had to have a physical. A what? You go to your doctor for annual physicals. Some people that I know, they haven't been to the doctor for years. They haven't gone to the dentist for years. Have been to the doctor for years, haven't been for a physical, haven't been to the dentist for years. And you know why they say they don't wanna to go to the doctor and go to the dentist? They don't wanna find out any bad news. Now isn't that really non-intellectual? <laughs> not smart to avoid what you might hear? So the way to deal with that is not even go to the dentist. Well, I speak from experience. When I was a boy, I used to eat hard candy. Christmas time, hard candy. The kind, the cheap kind that's really hard, got stripes and got some chocolate inside. I used to get those kind and go for the chocolate on the inside. I used to eat candy until I fell asleep. Now, you know, that's a real bad thing to do. Eat candy until I fell asleep. Crunch, 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 crunch. Thinking not about the damage I'm doing to my teeth. And when it's time to go to the dentist years afterwards, it was a horrible experience because I was, I was so foolish in my thinking. And so people don't go to the dentist, don't go to the doctor. They had to get a physical done on the lamb. All right, check out the lamb. First of all, is it a male lamb? Okay, number one, check, check that off. Okay, number two, is it without blemish? Check the fur, the wool. I was gonna say fur. Check the wool and go through it and separate that thing. Check ears, look at the ears. Okay, check the eyes. Check his nose, open his mouth, check his teeth. Uh-huh, say ah. The lamb says, I can't say ah, but I can say bah. Open your mouth, whatever, and I want to check your teeth. Take out your tongue, ah, uh, okay. Give him a fiddle, check the hooves, check everything. Check if it's pretty much a perfect lamb. The lamb had to be qualified to be the sacrificial lamb. Not any old lamb would do. This is very interesting if you think about this. Now try to think like this in your brain when you come to the Bible. Think historically, what does the Bible say about its history? Exodus is history. Then number two, think about what was said about an event or about a personal thing. 
This is about a specific lamb that was to be given for a sacrifice to save the family, the family's firstborn. Got to be real careful to do it right. You have to go through all these qualifications. Now, the lamb is going to be the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. If they have to go through such a rigorous examination to qualify the lamb, that tells us something about the lamb that was to come. It had to be the right one to be the savior. It had to be a male savior. It had to be a savior without any blemish, without any sin in him. That lamb of God, Jesus Christ, had to be perfect. Like this lamb had to be perfect to be the sacrificial lamb. Only one person can fulfill everything required to be the perfect lamb of God to die for our sins. The lamb here in Exodus 12 had to meet the qualifications. If it doesn't meet the qualifications, go get your lamb to meet the qualification. Whatever it costs you, go get it, go do it. Otherwise, your firstborn will die in your family. So that tells me that other, other people who said they are the way, the truth, and life, for them to say that, they have to be the ones that is the way, the truth, and life. You have to be perfect, you have to be sinless. You have to be sent by God the Father. Well, is there another? <clears throat> is there another? Another woman, another man that will fulfill the requirements to be the Lamb of God in the New Testament? Well, let me propose this to you. All right, if you are Asian, you are familiar with Buddhism. So, would the founder of Buddhism, would Watama Buddha be qualified to be the Lamb of God? So that's how you think. Historically, uh, doctrinally, what does it mean? Well, what this really comes down to is when we Christians insist that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, we have good reason, good logic, good history, good spiritual reasons to say he is the one that's qualified. So we would not say that another will fit the bill. The other, whoever they are, is not qualified. Because after all, what disqualifies every other person except Jesus Christ? You're disqualified. Why? Well, there's a reason why you're disqualified. It's probably because God is mean. Yes, he is such a mean God to insist and to say you don't qualify. No, no, it's because everyone who is born in this world cannot be the Savior, cannot be the Lamb of God because they are born as a sinner. The Lamb had to be without blemish and without spot. That's what you learned from the Lamb so far. The Lamb is needed by the people, had to be qualified because he is a picture, the Lamb is a picture of the perfect Son of God to come. High standards. Nobody could meet that standard except Jesus Christ. Alright? Uh, John 1 29, look at that verse with me. John 1 29. You get the Bible today or your phone? Well, you got, I know you got your phone, but uh, John 1 29. Look at that, please. John 1 29. <clears throat> I did say that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, and a verse that bears that out is John 1 29. John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which does this, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, interestingly, go back to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 3. Something, something was done with the Lamb before the Lamb became the sacrifice, before it was slain. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 3. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb <coughs> on the tenth day of the month, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb per house. All right, so on the tenth day. Now look at verse number 6. And you shall keep it, the lamb. You shall keep it, up until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So on the 10th day, get the lamb. Find your lamb. Wherever you get it, get the lamb. Check it out. Examine it. Give it a physical. And if it's the right one, keep it with you for how many days? Get it on the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, 
13th and the 14th. You keep the lamb for four days. And what's that all about? The lamb is not just something, some animal that you sacrifice without any feelings. The lamb was to live with the family for four days before it is executed, before it's slain. So the lamb got to be, now if there's kids in the family, the lamb probably became, the, the kids I should say, the family I would say, got attached to this lamb. It became not just a animal to be sacrificed, it is now an animal that you bonded with. You begin to get some affections with the, you ever look at the lamb's face? I never have, because I'm not a farmer type guy. I'm the kind of guy who goes to buy something in cans or in frozen like that. But I've never been looking at lambs, but I guess lambs are kind of cute. And uh, this lamb and the people, the family, they bonded together. It became very personal. This lamb was to be with them for four days before it was slain. Now, he did something to the people. He did something to the family. He did something to the kids. Now, this, they say never name your hog. Never give a name to your hog. Never give a name to your cow. Things like that. And the reason is the cow is raised. The, you know, the, these animals are raised. The hog is raised because it's going to be slaughtered. So you never give it a name because you get too attached to it. Well, for four days, they knew that this lamb was chosen to be the sacrificial lamb. And so you can imagine some of the feelings that went on with the family. <coughs> and so there was this bonding that went on. And it does speak about the relationship to Christ, doesn't it? Where people who just look at the death of Christ as some historical, mechanical, uh, you know, kind of an event. They have no heart. They have no feeling for this. But the bonding had to be has to be done for the Christian. There's some feeling involved with being saved. There's some feeling involved with be, belonging to Christ. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, this bonding, uh, I want to say one more thing. They knew the lamb had nothing to do with being sacrificed as far as you are going to be slain because you're a bad lamb. No, the lamb is going to be slain because he was not a bad lamb. He was a good lamb. He's a perfect lamb, a good, perfect specimen. So it was almost, I don't, I don't quite understand why he had, this lamb has to be killed. What has this lamb done to be what offense did he do that was so wrong he has to be killed? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Just like Christ did nothing wrong, yet he was killed. He was crucified. So there's a real strong parallel here about the Lamb of God and this Lamb. Also, also you think about this. Uh, Jesus Christ once again did nothing wrong. Second Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. So the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21, tells us that Jesus Christ was sinless, and yet He became sin for us in that He took upon us our sins, like this Lamb would take upon Himself, itself, the sins of this family, so that the firstborn would not be killed. Well, uh, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So the lamb, the next thing about this lamb is the lamb is killed by the people. <coughs> in verses 6 and 7. Everything about this chapter is about the lamb. And I want to focus about the lamb because that is the focus, the emphasis of this chapter. Verse number 6 and 7. You should keep it up until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening and they shall take off the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. All right, so before they eat the lamb, they had to do some of the blood of the lamb that was slain. They will slit his throat, have a bowl, and drain the blood out as much as can uh, be drained. And then they get the blood. And then if you look at verse number 22 of this chapter, look at how they applied the blood to the door. Verse 22. The lamb was slain, the innocent lamb was slain. In verse 22, here's how the blood is applied to the door posts. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. So the lamb was to be killed shed his blood, 
catch its blood, get get this the bushy branch from the, the hyssop, and take it over here, dip it in the bowl, and do this. And do this. Sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and let the blood run down. Okay, this is what they were to do with the lamb's blood. It's the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost. Now, before they ate it, they had to do that. They had to, in a sense, paint the doorpost, in a sense. Now, here's something else. Uh, I'll get back to the lamb and the blood and how it protected the people. But now, look at verse number 10. Exodus 12, verse number 10. They were to slay the lamb, then they were to eat the lamb. Oh, but no, don't eat it. You have to do something to the lamb. Verses 6 and 7. <coughs> You need to kill it. Verse 7, put the blood on the door. Look at verses 8 and 9 and 10. And they shall eat the flesh uh, that night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the uh, pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. So eat all the lamb. You are to roast it, though. You are to roast the lamb. Now, some of you may like eating lamb. I don't. Uh, I guess it's a delicacy of some sort. Have, have you ever eaten lamb? Let me see your hand. I'm just curious. Have you eaten lamb? Good? Okay. Some people, some people like it. I like, I like steak. Well done. Um, I like fish. Well done. I can never eat it raw. They were to kill the lamb, shed its blood. Then they were to roast the lamb, and they were to eat it. Now remember that night. That night is the last night they will have a meal. Their last night in Egypt will be capped up by having a good meal of a roasted lamb, bitter herbs, and some unleavened bread. And so the lamb is killed, the lamb is eaten by the people. And uh, again, the last night, this is going to sustain them as they travel out of Egypt that night at midnight. Now, they were to eat of the lamb. Not just kill it, but roast it and then eat it. Okay, now, I want you to come to John chapter 6. Turn to John chapter 6. Remember that they were to eat the lamb. Not just kill it, not just sacrifice it, but you were to eat it. Now in John chapter 6, Jesus said some I am statements in the book of John. And one of them, whenever he said I am, I am the water of life, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of this world. And now he says something that makes the people very offended in his time. He says something about himself that they misunderstood because they took him literally. Wait a minute. I thought we're supposed to take the Bible literally. We do. That's the first way of interpreting the Bible. However, there are some other ways to interpret too. Sometimes there is symbolic meaning to a statement. You must recognize that. So in John chapter 6, in verse number 53, Jesus says something that shook the people he spoke it to. John 6, 53. Uh, verse 52. He had just said in verse 51, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. Then he says this, If any man eat of this bread, wait a minute, he just says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, what are you talking about, Lord? If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give to, for the life of the world. I don't understand that, Lord. You mean to say, bite your hand, your finger, your... What are you talking about? I will give the life for the world. Verse 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, that'd be a logical question to ask yourself. This cannot be. Verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood... 
ye have no life in you. Can you imagine the people hearing these words? Verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Verse 58, This is that bread which cometh down from heaven, not as your father did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. Now what is all this? It sure sounds like if you heard Jesus say that today, you'd say, what? You'd be, you'd be, you'd drop everything you're thinking about and doing, you say, I don't understand this. Well, he does say, eat my flesh. And if you do, you have eternal life. Is that what he really meant, even though he said that? Is it possible that there are some statements that require some clarification and some, some qualification and some explanation? We just said that these verses are such verses that you need to explain them a little bit. You know, there's a, there's a verse in the book of Matthew that an old time a philosopher in the second century took literally and he did something to his body because he took literally. And for the rest of his life, he lived in such a state, a condition, where he actually mutilated himself because he took a verse that Jesus said literally. So this could be a, one of those explosive verses. So what do you think? I have an answer, but what do you think? Does he mean what he says? Are we to take it literally? <clears throat> if you don't hate your father, your mother, sister, brother, you can't be my disciple. Is that what you take literally as well? So you got two scriptures that are under the umbrella of what? What does that mean? We have to come to some kind of understanding conclusion. So what do you think? Before I give you my answer, or the Bible answer. Context is the solution, always is. Figure of speech is we're in the right direction. As we say, we're getting warmer. We're getting warmer. Context, figure of speech, we're getting warmer. The context is the answer. I want you to come down to verse number, uh, let's come down to verse number 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying, which is to say, what? This is a hard saying to say, I don't get it, Lord. This is a hard saying. Hard to chew on, hard to digest. It's a hard saying. The, the, the steak is too well done. It's hard to chew. This is a hard saying. And by the way, this is what you call in the Bible a meaty saying. There are milk sayings that are easier to digest, and then there are hard meat, strong meat is what it's called. Uh, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Or who can believe it? Who can accept it? Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, they were fussing. He said unto them, Doth this offend you? Verse 62. What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So the answer is in verse number 63. The things that he has said about eating his flesh, he says, the flesh profits nothing. So if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't profit you at all. It's worthless. It's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I mean. He says, because what I'm telling you, the words are spiritual. The things that I just told you, they are spiritual. They are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak unto you, verse 63, they are spirit and they are life. So, it's a spiritual statement that he gave about the bread of life and about his flesh has to be eaten. It's a spiritual statement. In other words, in Exodus 12, you have to eat that roasted lamb. Likewise, Jesus Christ, eat him. No, of course not. Now, more logically, if you were to eat Jesus Christ, only a few people would be saved. Because how big is his body physically? Who knows? It is not physical. It's not that at all. But what is true, his point to drive at is this. You must partake of me. You must personalize what you hear about me. You must do something with my sacrifice. You just can't look at it and say, oh, nice. 
That sacrificial lamb was not to be looked at only, it was to be eaten. So it wasn't just intellectual, it was to satisfy your hunger, satisfy your, your physical needs, go on that night. You must partake of the Lord, in other words, spiritually. You must eat him. Uh, again, the lamb was not sacrificed just to look at and to be admired, it was to be eaten. Now, how many of you have looked at a picture of a real good steak dinner? No, I'm not talking about steak so much. How many of you looked at a good steak dinner with the potatoes and the sour cream and the, what else? Sour cream, butter, and um, I mean a real big potato. Not a small big potato, but a big potato like that, okay? A, a three pound big potato, a one pound big, not a, not a six ounce big, but a big one. Just loaded without the uh, chives, without that. The steak there, it's got all the marks of the grill. And it is just perfectly well done. It's not pink, it's gray, it's perfect. And then there's, um, uh, what's that green thing you don't like? Asparagus. Asparagus, yes. And uh, maybe a couple of Brussels sprouts, you know. And, uh, and a large glass of um, uh, Mountain Dew. It's just perfect. And they bring the plate to you. They bring the plate, listen, they bring the plate to you. And then uh, all you do is smell it. You know, you just look at it. Well, your friend or your wife or your spouse, they're eating their steak. Now, that does not satisfy anybody. To be satisfied, you must partake of the meal. The Lamb of God to come has to be partook of. You must receive Him. You must, you must personalize it. You must partake of Him before you can be the beneficiary of the, the, the Lamb of God. See, that's what he's talking about. Now, there's a church, uh, I won't tell you what it is, but there's a church that believes when you take the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, which we call it communion or Lord's Supper, um, the elements are juice and the bread. <coughs> I'm just a loaf of bread. So they call it communion. But they have another word for that. Trans. Well, maybe you have a big word. This going to get suspicious, okay? But to partake of the Lord's Supper with this church, they call it transubstantiation. Substance. Trans, change. Something changes with the substance, the bread, and for them it's real wine, okay? I had gone to a funeral at the Catholic Church in Aina Aina. Um, was invited to go from a friend, so I did go out of respect. And the priest stood in the front. There's a crowd of 300 people coming down. And at a certain part of the service, they were giving up the communion. So there's a large goblet with wine in it. And he had wafers given to him by his attendant. People come down like this. They come down to the front, and he they would do this, and he'd put a wafer on their tongue, and they would swallow it and take a drink. Next guy come down, wafer, and he would take a drink. Every time someone took the wafer, he would take a sip of the wine. I find that humorous, and I find it also pretty sad. But that. Uh, the old school way was you would also take a sip of the wine and you would eat of the wafer. And so during that process, during that ceremony, the, the bread mysteriously changed into the body of Christ. The literal body, the physical, what is not physical but just bread would turn in a mysterious way into the body of Christ literally and the wine which is it should be the fruit of the vine grape juice this would turn into the literal blood of Christ this is what happens in their thinking justification John chapter 6 eat my flesh drink my blood of course that's not what it means because John 63 explained in his context that it is spiritual the words that speak in that spirit and their life, and uh, the flesh profits nothing. So if you if you did this every Sunday, 
in this church, Roman Catholic Church, you might have this idea that you are partaking of Christ's literal body and that you are beginning eternal life. But that is not true because he said so. Go back to Romans, uh, Exodus chapter 12. So in Exodus 12, the lamb was to be eaten by the people, which uh, speaks to us about how you must not only know about Christ, you must believe on him, you must trust in him, you must partake, you must receive him. That is the idea, the spiritual lesson. Now in chapter 12 of Exodus, verse number 11, they had gotten the lamb, they had killed the lamb, and now they have eaten the lamb, and they ate the lamb in a certain way. Look at chapter 12 and verse number 11. 12, 11. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, how would they eat this meal in the evening? Dressed, ready to move. Dressed, ready to get out the door and leave town. This is the first example of eat and run. Really, eat and run. So they knew that the last meal that they were partaking of, this roasted lamb, they were to be ready to go right away. Because at 12 o'clock, when the death angel comes through Egypt, the first one will be slain, and the Pharaoh said, go. They had to be packed, ready to go. Get all your bags packed, your duffel bags, get your laptops ready to go, your devices, get your charges ready to go, just get ready to go. Have it at the door. Don't forget anything. Don't wait until 12 o'clock. Get it done now. While we're gonna prepare the lamb, kids, you get all your stuff ready. Be sure you have an extra change of clothes, extra underwear, be sure you have toothbrush, toothpaste, get everything ready to go. Don't forget anything. Don't forget anything. I can see the mother reminding them over and over again, don't forget anything. Because once you start eating, we need to be ready to go. Got it? Yes, mommy. Isn't it good when kids obey you? Imagine some kids saying, uh, what'd you say, mom? Uh, what, 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 what? Well, look, that night they were to eat and run. Uh, let's look at another thing, and we'll try to wrap this up somehow. In 12, 12, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. Now, verse 13 tells us, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, Passover, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, very important scripture here. Very important that the Hebrew father would pay attention exactly to the details that God or Moses said through him. Do it exactly like this. Upon the blood of the Lord, he did that. Okay. Now, when he did that, he would just rest, have his meal, and rest and wait until the death angel came through. And if he had the blood in the door, he had assurance to know that the angel would not stop at his door. This is one visitation call you did not want to have come to your house. Look at verse number 23. 12:23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sheath the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over that door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto you, uh, unto your houses, to smite you. Verse 26. And it shall come to pass when your children shall send to you, what mean you by this service? 27. Then you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered your, our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshiped, and then come to verse number 29. It came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captain that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. So this is what was going to happen and it happened like that and the lamb, the lamb though because they shed blood on the door it protected the people. 
So the people needed the lamb. The people uh, killed the lamb. The people ate the lamb. And the lamb protected the people. It's blood. By the way, the lamb was killed, but it wasn't a killed lamb that protected him. It was the blood of that killed lamb that protected the people. Showing the importance that when Jesus Christ was crucified, it was not just his death that atoned for our sins, it was his shed blood. Some say only the death of Christ. Some say that the blood of Christ, there's nothing magical about it. Did his blood that fell to the ground from the cross, was it anything magical from that? Well, he had to die for sure for his blood to be shed. But you just don't have the death, you have to have the blood. Like here, it wasn't just a slain, slain lamb, it was the slain lamb's blood applied to the door. The door, the blood of the door is what the death angel looked for. As the death angel came down throughout Egypt that midnight, he looked for one thing. As he came through, now I'm thinking about a drone looking coming down because just, you know, our world, we, we're so visual. But the, when the death angel came down, he knew all the addresses of everyone, every Hebrew and every Egyptian and every uh, one in authority, everyone who was just a slave or a servant. He knew exactly where everyone lived. He, you know these Google map thing, uh, when you type in an address, you show you the address, but then as you, as you blow it up, you see all the different blocks and addresses of things. Now, if Google can do that, do you not realize that far ahead of that, God knows exactly where everyone lived in Egypt and in Goshen? And notice this, when, when the angel came down, he came to the door. Actually, I don't know if he came to the door as much as he came by the door. Because he didn't have to knock on the door. But if he saw the blood on the door, he says, okay, good. And he passes by. He passed over that house. He kept on passing over houses that had blood on the door. He said, okay, 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 okay. Oh, I got to go to this one. And there was a great cry throughout all of Egypt, as they should be, as they would be, because from Pharaoh's eldest child unto the servant's eldest child, also for the Hebrews, if there's no blood, then that one would have been executed. And the word executed is the right word. It sounds kind of gross and kind of mean and horrible and uh, heartless and cruel, but uh, don't let that stop you from understanding that God sent the death angel, the death angel had um, the authority to slay everyone that didn't have the blood on the door, but if there's blood on the door, the death angel would pass over. Now, if the Hebrew father did what God said to do, he's safe. If you had put something red, but not blood, he's not safe. Remember the Egyptians of Pharaoh uh, earlier could facsimile blood in the water, but it wasn't real blood. So they could not have put fake blood or if they went down to Home Depot to buy paint, some skeptical father could say, well, you know, red is red, right? Red is red. So he just painted the blue. No, it would not have done. It would not have saved the family's firstborn. He had to have had the lamb's blood applied to the door. That is what was required. And if they did that, death engine came through, he would pass by. What does that all mean? Well, that all means that it is only by the Lamb of God shed blood that we are saved. If you're trusting uh, another man, another man's effort, another religion, if you're trusting someone else's atonement, that will never do because it'd be illegitimate. It has to be the Lamb of God's shed blood that protects us. So this Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb's blood, protected that family's firstborn from being executed. I want you to come to Hebrews for just a minute with quickly. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I hope you can see how put together this Bible is. It had to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, these things just don't match. <clears throat> these things just don't work together. But everything is so tightly together because the Holy Spirit is the author of both Testaments. Hebrews 11.28 tells us, 11.28, about the Passover. Did you know faith was required to do what God says? In verse 28, through faith, he, that's Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So faith, faith, faith was involved in the obeying what God said. And when they obeyed by faith, they were protected by the blood that was applied to the door. 
And so uh, go to Hebrews chapter 9, back at one, one page or so. Hebrews chapter 9, more about the blood. As I just mentioned that the blood is the only thing that would protect the Hebrews family's uh, death of the firstborn. Nothing else would work. Hebrews 9 and verse 22. 9.22 And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Nothing else would do. You have to have the blood of an animal sacrifice that was accepted by the God. And in the case of the Passover lamb, you have to have the lamb's blood shed and applied to the door. Nothing else would protect you. And so in verse number 30 of chapter 12, we'll end here. 12.30 When the death angel came and did his work, the only natural thing that could happen is a great cry. Verse number 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. That's one of the most tragic verses in all the Bible because it was all preventable. It was all avoidable. It's one thing to suffer because it just works that way. It's nothing to suffer unnecessarily. It's nothing to suffer because of neglect or unbelief. So that's avoidable. If you can avoid something tragic, that's the route you should take. If you do everything possible that's right and still tragedy comes, okay, well that's another story now. In this case, I really think that all of this great cry of Egypt a lot of it was avoidable if people just believe what Moses said. Lack of faith, lack of faith, unbelief causes death. And so when a man rejects Jesus Christ for his own reasons, whatever he has been infected with, the philosophies of this world, and he refuses to accept Christ <clears throat> as his Savior, then he will have to suffer his own decisions and pay for his own sins. Whereas it could have been just the opposite. He could have let the Lord shed blood atone for his sins. He could have believed on Christ and been saved eternally. So choices that we make, uh, who do we listen to? Who do we depend on? Who do we trust? What is our authority? Have faith in what the Bible says instead. Amen. And that's the safe thing to do. So the Passover night was a good night. It delivered the people. It was a tragic night because a lot of people were killed. Much of it unnecessary. So that's some of chapter 12, and next time we meet for the lessons in Exodus, we'll get on after the Passover, the Exodus, which is a familiar story to you, some important things to bring to your attention about the Exodus itself. Did you know Pharaoh also repented after he let them go again? Did you know Pharaoh was such a double-minded man, he's such a prideful man, he could not let them go, even though he said go? But we'll see what happens to Pharaoh in the Red Sea next time.